0: Hello and welcome to the Transporter Lock podcast, episode number 101 for Sunday, March 27th, 2022. I'm your co-host, Chief Engineer Ken Gadney, joined by my captain.
1: Captain Sabriel Mastin, and we're going to talk about watching. Yes, me, but, the watcher.
0: but before we do, I have a joke for you. Oh, okay, I'm ready. What do you call a bunch of Klingons applauding?
1: What do you call a bunch of Klingons applauding? Now, are you doing like the data, hands up in the air, um, stand up routine? Here? I sure am. <laughs> What do you call a bunch of Klingons applauding clap on clap, clap? Uh, tell me. Otherwise I don't want to make the audience listen to my thought process because I will make them sit here. Otherwise a round of applause. <laughs> all right. I like that one.
0: You can have that one for free.
1: <laughs> I'm here all week. You might be insensitive to Klingons, but I do.
0: <laughs> eh, if they are listening, they're welcome to send a nasty email.
1: Wait, wait. Is that Klingon language camp still a thing?
0: Is Was it a thing in, to begin
1: with? Yeah, because I know people who knew people on it.
0: <laughs> you knew people who knew? I knew I knew somebody who knew somebody who knew somebody <laughs> yeah, on it. Yeah,
1: but no, it was a real thing because you can even find it on the YouTube. Was it Shar? Shar. I think Shar knows. Oh,
0: Vice <laughs> Admiral Charlene Schmidt.
1: Yeah, um, I think it was Shar. I know a lot of turkeys. Anyway, that was a good joke.
0: <laughs> I'm glad you liked it.
1: sorry i still giggling is genuinely about that joke Uh.
0: i'm I'm glad you enjoyed it (laughs) so we are here today to talk about picard season two episode four watcher no the just watcher
1: no the no a b
0: c or d and no who's watching the watcher that's a different series entirely
1: no um directed by Leah thompson yet again our time traveling expert from back to the future
0: Oh, would it, wait, when you say again, has she done other
1: episodes? Yeah, she did the last episode as well. I forgot to mention it last week. Huh.
0: I did not realize that. You're right. She directed Assimilation and Watcher. And she is from, of course, as you said, Back to the Future. How about that?
1: And Caroline in the City. That I haven't seen.
0: <laughs> yeah, she played Lorraine. So that would be Marty McFly's mother. There's also a great picture on Memory Alpha of Leah Thompson standing in front of the Borg Queen, and the Queen is just, like, glowering because she's taking the camera. (laughs) Whoops. So, yeah, we watched Watcher, which is a little meta. This is the fourth episode, and any initial thoughts?
1: Uh, Yeah. uh, I tweeted it out. My first thoughts was, wow, that went by quick. I liked this episode a lot in my first viewing And liked it a bunch on my second viewing. (laughs) How about you?
0: I thought this was the worst episode of the season. Mm -hmm. I was so bored and so frustrated. Really? Yes. Uh, What I could not get past was the fact that... Well, let's back up a little bit. There are four things happening in this episode. One is... Picard is meeting up with a younger Guinan. The second is Christoph is now in Ice Detainment. Two is three is Rafi, and seven are hijacking a police car, and four is Agnes is talking with the Borg Queen. So these things, of course, all interrelate and they talk to each other, etc. But what I could not stop focusing on was the part with Picard and Guinan and I, I, we're going to talk more about the recasting of Ganon. TLDR, I love the new character. But I could not get past the fact that they were ignoring Time Zero from TNG.
1: That is a major point of contention on line two. Confusion is more accurate. Because um, the explainers were saying if Time's Arrow didn't happen because this version of the future didn't happen... But then also, well, how does punk guy on bus happen if Federation doesn't exist?
0: Right. It wasn't until I Googled it last night that I realized, oh, since Picard is coming from a timeline that never happened, that means Time's Arrow never happened. And okay, from a logical perspective, I guess that makes sense. They really should have incorporated that into the episode. Like Picard could have said, you remember me from the 1800s. And Guy was like, what are you talking about? Picard would snap his fingers and be like, that's right. That timeline hasn't happened. And that would have placated me thoroughly.
1: You know, I was, this all came in my head too. Like, how does she not recognize him? And I don't know. It might be a mistake, but also sometimes they do things for a reason. That and we haven't seen yet, um, so I think I'm going to say the jury is still out. But it feels like I'm leaning on mistake.
0: I would be impressed if, given how many other Star Trek references they make, like for example, you said Punk Guy from Star Trek Four. What I missed was the nonprofit that Guinan donates her stuff to is apparently yeah. named after Edith Keeler's shelter. Yep
1: twenty uh, first street mission. They had Floyd's barbershop again in the background. In the oh here in the twenty first twenty-first um street mission scene where Guyan is donating stuff in the background, it's Floyd's barbershop in City on the Age of Forever. They filmed it on the Mayberry set, which was a general town set. Where the twenty first street mission is, Floyd's barbershop was also in the background. So I got a kick out of that.
0: Neat. Yeah. So how could they incorporate all these Star Trek references going back decades and not be aware of Time Zero, especially since uh, it's so relevant to this episode?
1: Um, well, the probe still happens, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. So the probe still comes. So it's possible that Confederation Kirk and Spock, uh, I don't know, You, you know, the characters, someone went back in time and gave a Vulcan. I could, I could explain no. it away. In the most weird, stupid ways of the probe still happens, the whale thing still happens, okay. Um,
0: Right, right, right. right. But I'm responding to the idea that the crew, the production crew, didn't know about Time Zero. I don't think that's likely.
1: That's right. Yeah. So that's into, maybe it's part of the plan.
0: Well, there's also, the we don't know why Guinan changed her response to Picard when he revealed his name. Right. So either she recognized it or the watcher had said, I am watching for somebody named Picard to arrive. And when he showed up, Guy's like, Oh, it's you.
1: Yeah. So maybe they do know. Maybe they've got this all part of the plan.
0: There's a lot still to come in the season. There's a lot we don't know, but the fact that the, this is now the second episode featuring Jean-Luc Picard, going back in time, meeting Guinan and having to introduce himself, even if they ignore the fact that it's happened before from a continuity perspective that can be explained, there's still the fact that we, the audience, have seen this before. And I, I would like to see something different, something original.
1: Oh, man. It's to see, for me, is like the time travel trope of, all right, let's we did this in the future, and now we do it in repetition because time travel. Um, it's like, wow, we're doing it again. This isn't this weird. Uh, or isn't this, this is the callback to a few episodes or hours ago. You know, to me, that felt very normal for time travel trope not saying it's right or wrong but that's just felt normal for me
0: trope is very similar to the word cliche (laughs) yeah it is and that's not necessarily a good thing but since we are talking about that quarter of the episode the part that features on Picard and Guinan I am you know Granted, I started off on a low note of the things I didn't like. There was a lot to like there. Would you like to start by saying some things that you liked about that exchange?
1: So, this interaction. Uh, one, I love, know, uh, as Guinan. And this interaction was, man, she was... This Guinan felt very much like Whoopi, uh, that era. And also, like, someone who hurts so much. And somehow something in her was still up for listening to Picard because she listens and I like that they still have that in her character Uh, is there something like you want to point out Um,
0: I thought it was wonderful that they have that perspective represented in Star Trek that we can have a black woman come on scene and say this century exchanged a hood for a suit
1: yeah oh that was such a good line
0: yeah, like Guinan is not pulling any punches. And this is, as we discussed last week, very much a commentary on modern day Earth, like the society and civilization and the issues that we are facing and not doing a great job of, to be honest.
1: No, um, I thought that was a great scene. And to see her pain, uh, it, I, it felt so real.
0: Yeah, even if she is not human, even if she could leave Earth at any time, she still invested herself. It's not just because she was assigned here by somebody. It's because she made this her home. And doesn't matter where you come from. Once you choose someplace to be your home, you're invested in it. And for her to give up on that was not easy. This wasn't just like me as a digital nomad. I move every couple of months. I enjoy a place, but I never am a citizen of it. She, whereas Gynen, she is a citizen of Earth.
1: So like... I wonder what happened in the real timeline for her to change her mind on giving up as well.
0: Yeah, we don't know. We don't know if she did change her mind. I mean, uh, And also, maybe this is a tangent, I had missed in the first episode of this season when Picard went to visit Guinan that her bar was called Ten Forward. Oh, really? I totally overlooked that. It's hard to miss this time. And I
1: have to wonder, why is it called Ten Forward? A lot of people online were super pissed about this being called Ten Forward.
0: Like I totally understand in the future that Picard came from why it would be called 10 Forward, but in the 21st century?
1: Uh, here, it's 10 Forward Street, just like it was in the first episode.
0: Right. But So that's just a cosmic coincidence?
1: Uh, do we know it's actually called the 10 Forward Bar, or is it just the address?
0: We heard Picard refer to it as 10 Forward, whether that's an artifact okay, from the but- era he came from, I don't know.
1: Uh yeah, this got a lot of people online upset because the bar they named the bar that, but it's it's called that on the Enterprise D, and it was section ten, you know, deck ten, section or forward section. Like yeah, uh, maybe. Oh man, there was I don't God, it was one of those things. Like yeah, I got a kick out of it. It made a lot of people upset. I had no problem with it. I'm like okay, she took she took a lounge area that happened to be in the front of the ship and just called it her bar that she had back on Earth.
0: So, oh, so you're saying on Enterprise, uh, I'm sorry, on TNG, it's called that because she had a bar on Earth.
1: Well, that's what they've established here. Oh, before, Oof. before, I don't know if it was actually ever stated on screen. That's what it was. Deck ten forward section. Maybe it was, but um, but it was it in technical manuals as a way to explain it? And um, I could be wrong. I don't know. I'm not saying yes or no. They did mention on screen, but so initially it had been established that's why it was called 10 forward to the community at least even if it was never said on screen or not i don't know and now now we added a past thing like oh her bar was also called 10 forward i don't know when it comes to time travel and coincidences i'm like i don't know i I, i'm okay with it it's a minor part of the story to me
0: sure Well, another point of continuity that I was concerned about is on the TNG episode yesterday's Enterprise. It was established that Guinan can sense disruptions in the timeline, and Mm -hmm. the Guinan we are seeing in this episode is not exhibiting any such behavior.
1: She, she, um, we don't know that she didn't. She just didn't really, or because time hasn't changed yet.
0: But certainly, Picard coming from a timeline that hasn't happened yet, I would think, would set off some sort of sirens.
1: Maybe that's why she's talking to her. And she did end up throwing up, uh, was it, a time sickness called (laughs) AFKEL when he started quoting her from the future. Mm -hmm. So, like, we don't know that she... It hasn't happened yet to do it.
0: Well, you know, as you may recall, Guinan in Star Trek Generations was briefly in the Nexus, and there's a part Mm -hmm. of her that remains there and according to the novel Engines of Destiny that's why she's able to perceive changes in the timeline is because the nexus exists outside of time and a part of her is there so in the 21st century that would not have happened
1: yet uh, possibly or because time is a fourth dimension and um, we and
0: we think so three dimensionally
1: exactly that <laughs> i don't know uh See, I haven't seen anything that really made me go, like, mm, okay, uh, this conflicts with everything.
0: Yeah, I just feel like they are not incorporating the aspects of Picard's history that TNG fans would expect.
1: Uh, to me, it feels like they aren't doing it yet. They might not, and now I think that would be a mistake, but I don't think the door is closed.
0: You're right. There's still a lot to come in this season. And she does eventually introduce him. To who we think is the watcher, which was a, a weird interaction. So he walks about twenty feet in broad daylight, and the watcher inhabits three different people to make sure he's not being followed. I'm like, that's not how you've stopped somebody from being followed by walking twenty feet in broad daylight.
1: Yeah, how it played out on screen. Like, I imagine in like the novelization, you know, like, they walk like three, four blocks in different directions. But on screen, it did not play out that way at all. <laughs>
0: No, it just seemed more suspicious that all these other people suddenly, my eyes go white, and I turn around and start following you, and nobody else is going to notice that.
1: (laughs) Um, But, man, Kayla was right.
0: Oh, about it being Guinan?
1: No, uh, that was my suggestion. Kayla was right about what um, our watcher is.
0: Remind me what Kayla thought.
1: Uh, Talking about Assignment Earth on TOS. With, oh, you didn't. Oh, my goodness. Okay. I'm so happy I get to share this with you. I am so happy. Um, assignment Earth. That episode was going to be a spin off
0: with, uh, with Gary Seven. Seven. Yeah. Yeah.
1: That is this person who looks like Laris is also part of that organization.
0: That was uh, Commodore Mark Thompson who thought it was going to be Agent I thought, Gary Seven. I
1: thought Keila t- too.
0: We talked about that two weeks ago.
1: Yeah. Uh, man, time. <laughs> I I promised myself I would never get caught up in one of these paradoxes. Um, I thought Kayla said it. Anyway, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. We talked about it last week, so I think that's what got me. Mm -hmm. But uh, yes, Commodore was right. Um, That this person who looks like Laris is part of the same organization that Gary Seven is. How can you tell? Um, Talking about the supervisors, talking about the assignment that she has the the big giveaway. Besides looking nice in a suit, um, was the <laughs> strange doorway effect, which is the same thing that he had on uh, Gary Seven had when traveling through various areas.
0: Oh, well, I don't remember that particular effect from Assignment Earth.
1: Yeah, uh, he—I don't know if it was like a safe thing, but he had this huge computer wall. and When he opened it up, the, it was a big doorway that had a smoke effect, 1960s smoke effect. You huh. walk through, yeah.
0: I presume he didn't use it in broad daylight.
1: <laughs> uh, no, it was not like this. No, that was always to walk into his office thing.
0: I see. And he also had a cat who was sometimes a woman.
1: Uh, yeah, Isis, I think is her name was.
0: It'll be interesting to see if such a what do you want to call it a, a daemon or a familiar shows up in this episode as well in this season.
1: Uh, I wonder, man. And who is this Larys, or just someone who looks like her?
0: I'll be honest, at first, I didn't recognize her. I didn't understand why Picard was so happy. I think, I don't know if it was the hair being pulled back or the ears being rounded or just wearing a suit, but she looked so different from Mm -hmm. the Romulan.
1: Uh, Yeah, she had a lot of piercings. um, And you just didn't didn't expect to see her here. Um, At one point, when going through the people to walk the good 20 feet over to meet her, she had the guy with the scraggly hair say, this body, like the others, is a temporary host. Mm-hmm. And my first viewing, I just assumed it was the people that were being possessed. My second viewing is like, is that also talking about the one that, I'm just going to call her Laris for now, mm-hmm. um, has as well. And I'm like, I wonder if that's supposed to be some kind of deeper thing or if it only meant those people that she was using to get Picard to walk over the few feet.
0: I don't know. Laris's uh, eyes were yeah. not white, so I don't know who or what she is.
1: Yeah. So, um, there's that? I'm just so I when that that's the I think that's what got me most excited in this episode, was seeing her and the whole watcher thing.
0: Hmm, I didn't realize that that end scene had confirmed Mark's theory. So thank you thank you for confirming for me.
1: 90 95% confirmation. It's not, I suppose. I'm all but convinced. How about that?
0: Well, let me ask you: In Assignment Earth, did they also make reference to supervisors?
1: No, my foggy is, but this, this feels like the same organization. I think they did, but uh, I, I've, I've taken a lot of information the last few days. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> if I would have been, taken the time to double check in the few minutes beforehand, but I had to feed the cats.
0: Cats who also turn into people?
1: <laughs> I'll have to do. I have not seen it yet.
0: Oh. Well, that's the thing. <laughs> they only do it when nobody's watching. <laughs> huh. Well, that is a promising direction for the rest of this season.
1: Yeah, I love, I love the Watchers. I used to in my D anD D game, and my party is none the wiser.
0: So I wonder if this will be Gary Seven or if it's a different supervisor like Gary Eight or Garyana
1: <laughs> Is there a feminine version of Gary, or is it Garyana It is now. <laughs> It was such short, but it got me excited. Um, that's what she said. <laughs> the gays finally start talking.
0: Yeah, they had a nice little exchange on the bus.
1: um, um Or on the police cruiser. Oh, yeah, no, the bus. You want to jump? I, I, hold on. Way back to start. Yes. Oh, my God. The punk guy on the bus. I got excited for that, too.
0: As soon as we saw there was a bus, I thought there has to be a punk guy on it. And when there <laughs> proved to be a punk guy... I'll be honest, I didn't recognize him, but I didn't have to look him up because I thought, why would a punk guy on a bus in the 21st century have a (laughs) boombox unless it is the same guy from the Voyage Home?
1: Same guy, same actor.
0: Yep. And he was also in one of the Spider-Man movies, right? Yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. He was in Spider-Man 2, Home Alone 2. Uh, Home Alone 2. Home Alone, Away, Coming.
0: Far From Uh, Home?
1: I don't know. The second one. Okay. Honestly, I hate that they used the home thing three times.
0: <laughs> they never did work from home. I mean, an obvious pandemic homage. Come on. I mean,
1: it could be next one still.
0: <laughs> Spider-Man, work from home. <laughs> Love it.
1: But um, yeah, he was in second like, one for like a scene. I
0: don't know. Anyway,
1: I got such a kick out of that. And Seven yelling at him and he's sorry.
0: <laughs> I just really like this song.
1: And he even sang this version of the song as well. That's him singing.
0: Well, what I'm told is the reason why he was so quick to oblige Seven is because look, the last time he didn't turn down his radio, he got a Vulcan neck pinch.
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. That's so, what they're referencing. So
0: he's learned his lesson.
1: <laughs> Which is adorable. Just, oh, sorry. Uh, sorry. Please don't hurt me. <laughs> I love that the song is still, now this one is just, I still hate you instead of I hate you.
0: Oh, I didn't even notice that. <laughs> I really like the song.
1: Um, a lot of people. He was on Twitter talking about it. People were cheering him on on Twitter because he actually works in Hollywood. He, were, I think, he was like uh, assistant to Leonard Nimoy at some point too. Huh. Um, and so, yeah, he still works in Hollywood. And so he got a chance to reprise the role, which is, I thought, was endearing. Which also means somehow the whale probe incident happened again or still.
0: What a way to be typecast, though.
1: Uh, I think it was all him. Like, hey, we're going to do this thing you want to. And he's like, yes.
0: (laughs) Oh, I know. If you only play a role once a decade, then it's not really a typecast. (laughs) But still, that is what he is best known for by people like us who don't work in Hollywood and don't know him for these other things. (laughs) Oh, you're the Star Trek punk rocker. I love your work.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And then we get to go to the LAPD. Uh, We get to see Raffi yelling at police, which is great.
0: I was surprised by that because Seven was the calming influence there. She said, you are very good at your job. We're just going to step away for a moment. <laughs> and I feel like on Voyager, Seven would have been the one accosting law enforcement and calling them illogical. Oh, so, God. Absolutely. <laughs> so to see somebody being more Seven than Seven was really amusing.
1: Yeah, like, it's illogical for you to t- not tell me the answer um, that I'm looking for. And Raffi still not really listening to anything. Uh, oh, wait, Crystal Ball. I'm like, oh my God. Um, Raffi not listening to anything, takes the phaser, shoots the door. They steal a cop car or a cruiser. Seven's driving. They're yelling at each other as they're going backwards or wrong way down one ways. Um, Buzz finally forces them to talk a little bit.
0: <laughs> I have to wonder if Seven of Nine learned to drive an antique like that from Tom Paris.
1: Uh, that thought kind of occurred to me, too. Um, I love that she's called, this is an antique.
0: <laughs> it's true.
1: Um, <laughs> Seven, like, if I kill someone, this is on you. And maybe you should not try. or Maybe you could try not aiming for them. Uh, the uh, look little... that
0: Seven gave Rafi at that moment was <laughs> priceless.
1: <laughs> oh, this is great. And Seven being like, I'm still driving better than half these people. And Rafi's like, yeah.
0: It's <laughs> <laughs> LA. Of course you are.
1: Uh, i got it. i love that scene a lot and then the cops yell you know, get out of the car now and then they do they beam out
0: yeah that was a little disappointing to me that ultimately that joyride didn't move them forward they could have just hid out until agnes got the transporter working they didn't have to steal the cop i mean granted they had <sighs> to get in to look at the computer to determine where they were but everything after that was unnecessary
1: I mean, it's like the Indiana Jones one problem where everything would have happened the same way either way. Um, they don't know that.
0: What is this Indiana Jones?
1: Oh, where the first movie, all the events of, of it would have happened if Indy would have gotten involved or not. The Nazis still would have taken it. They still would have opened up the thing. They still would have died. Oh. that Miriam would have died.
0: I never thought of it that way.
1: Um But here, at the time, they didn't know that. Ultimately, story-wise, plot-wise, it advanced nothing to steal the car, other than forcing them to take a chance to talk. No, actually, it did, because it also made Jurati have to talk to her new crush, the Boar Queen, um, and have some time there, too. So it pushed two things forward. uh, But ultimately, you're correct in that it wound up they didn't need to do that.
0: Yeah, they... Perhaps could have pressured Agnes anyway by saying they're moving Chris. We need to get there immediately before he disappears. And Agnes would be like, "I'm working on it." Wait, I know somebody who could help.
1: But mm-hmm. uh, Seven put it well. She's like, "You're thinking with your fists, not with your head." Uh, Rafu is just moving one scene to the next, not really thinking, not really thinking ahead at all. Hmm. Something she even admonished herself for doing uh, on the bus. She said, "Like, um, we should have just sat there for a little bit longer and thought about our plan."
0: Yes. That is very true.
1: And then she goes and continues not thinking about a plan because she's just so angry. Yeah. So
0: she is her own worst enemy in this season because she's too overwhelmed with emotion.
1: Exactly. Uh, these, at least not in an unhelpful way. Um, and so, yeah, so it they could have just stood there, but it also maybe will help Rafi realize she needs to slow down.
0: I am interested to see how they rescue Chris when they're not allowed to use phasers and they can't step on any butterflies.
1: Uh, <laughs> that's funny. Butterflies keep coming up. The hospital was named after butterflies. Uh, the little girl's dress that was guiding Walking Picard had butterflies in her dress. Hmm. They're really driving the butterfly thing, in fact, home here.
0: <laughs> oh, Interesting. I hadn't noticed that.
1: <sighs> um, And yeah. They still
0: haven't gotten Chris's badge back, have they?
1: Uh, Not that we saw. No one has picked it up from the hospital.
0: Yeah, because they went to the hospital and said, I know how to read a tricorder, and they spoke to, I think, the nurse, but... They didn't grab the badge while they were there. I'm maybe. I'm hoping that in the next episode when they rescue Chris, like Rafi pulls it out of her pocket, and says, "Here, we got you this."
1: Yeah, or maybe it'll come up something to do with uh, this trip to Mars. Trip to Mars. Um, multiple. Mm. There's been multiple references to uh, I don't I I can't remember if I brought it up or not. Um, when they got here to earth in 2024 i'm slowing down to make sure i don't just spit out excitedly and i get all my thoughts straight uh and buying myself time uh, they got to earth and there are signs in multiple places rafi even points one out a picture of hope oh europa you mean? yeah the Ro- europa mission yeah uh, i did say mars i meant europa um and the mission to boldly go it is on posters all over yeah and um apparently on Amazon. Um, it spoiled who the gal was that P- Q was talking to.
0: Oh, I don't want to know that.
1: All right. I won't say. Um, then I won't say then. But I found it exciting.
0: Okay. I was confused why this character with no line suddenly showed up and got so much screen time. I hadn't really thought about. I, I was going to ask you what was, I know we're jumping around a little bit, what was Q intending to do when he snapped his fingers? And apparently you know more about that than I do and I'm happy to hypothesize but when you actually know, I would prefer not to hypothesize. All
1: right. Uh, Do you want me to, do you want to hypothesize and I react a certain way or do you just want to skip it?
0: My only thought was... It might be nothing. I that It was just this weird foil to demonstrate that Q couldn't use his powers anymore. But apparently it does mean something, which I didn't know. So that's enough for me for, to know for now.
1: You got it. Uh, but what, as for what was Q was trying, to me, it looks like he was trying to implant some kind of idea or thought. Normally, he just does it without thinking. But here he was being a flair for the dramatic and trying to implant thoughts into this woman.
0: Have we ever and- seen him... M- do that before? Like, mentally manipulate somebody?
1: Uh, not that I recall. But I can see Q with the flair for the dramatic, and being all
0: this. (laughs) We certainly know it's possible, because when that young girl Q, played by Olivia Diabo, snapped her fingers and made Riker fall in love with her, you know, that was a thing. But then we haven't really seen John DeLancey do it before.
1: It also feels like this is a John Delancey of the future, you know, like all these years later. He's like, oh, I want to really get into this character and be this person who's basically like Picard, but with powers, you know, yeah. or, or at least a foil to him, you know. And so I can totally see him with a flair. Except
0: he's not supposed to change the timeline for another three days.
1: Uh, well, he, we don't know how much he's been influencing things.
0: Right, he may plant uh, the seeds plant. now, so that three days later, that woman makes a different decision.
1: Exactly. Uh, the book she was reading was a reference to both Data and um, Next Generation and um, Dixon Hill. What was the book? Uh, Pallid Son, written by Tracy Tormey. Tracy Torme was a writer on early Next Generation. Hmm. And I think they might have even done one of the Dixon Hill episodes. Oh, neat. Uh, the picture on there is a pallid man, a pale man. Hmm. Um, uh, it looks a lot like Data in a suit, much like the Dixon Hill episodes. Makes sense. And um, the institute in the background, Kilgrave or Killgra- something like that. Roy Kirk, Roy Roy was uh, it's the same person who invented the Nomad um, <laughs> AI. Yep. In TOS. And so, like they are shoving all these evidences real quick. So that's why I'm like not too worried about the times arrow thing. I feel like something's going to happen where it's like, oh, that's why. Hmm.
0: Although, I I don't want to know the answer if you have it, but do you have the answer, yes or no, as to why Q's powers weren't working?
1: No, no answer there.
0: Ah, yeah, I'm concerned about that as well, because I thought he was trying to encourage Picard through this whole manipulation of this season to somehow rise up to the Borg. And if Q's powers are disappearing, that seems like it would be unrelated to the Borg.
1: This is, it does feel like it's unrelated, and also feels like he he caused this mess, and oh crap! Now I'm having Charles undoing it. Ah, uh, shite. <laughs> well,
0: I remember an episode of Buffy where some villainous cast a spell on Buffy's house so that nobody could leave, like they were stuck there. And then when they the inhabitants of Buffy's house slowly start to realize this curse. They're like, ah, I bet this person did this to us. And this person apparates in, just appears, says like, aha, you're right. I cast a spell on you. And now you're all stuck here. Bye. And she goes to leave and she can't. (laughs) She's like, oh crap. I did it to myself. (laughs) So she has to lift the curse. So, Maybe Q has done something and he inadvertently caught himself. And like You play D&D, so you know very well how finely worded wishes need to be.
1: Yeah, yep.
0: <laughs> and who knows what wish Q enacted that has done something.
1: So yeah, the Q thing. Uh, I'm really curious where this is going.
0: Well, another theory that may tie back into all this. We briefly mentioned how Agnes and the Borg Queen were having a little banter this week. And somebody, a commenter on Reddit or Facebook or somewhere, I don't remember where, theorized that the Borg Queen we saw in the first episode of this season is Agnes.
1: Yeah, I mentioned it too.
0: Oh. I threw uh,
1: it out there as a possibility. Okay. Um, I could totally see that. I don't know. It also felt like very much... To me, it feels kind of like um, this is perfect for... Uh, Agnes being drunk on the bridge and interacting with this thing and then not realizing it's actually her.
0: Sorry, being drunk on the bridge and interacting with.
1: Uh, she was drunk on the Stargazer because she was at that party.
0: Oh, right on the Stargazer, yep.
1: Yeah, and so, like, and not realizing she's in this room also.
0: Mm. We've been talking about, or, we, or rather, the Queen has been talking about how Agnes is always alone and Agnes is apparently drawn to the euphoria of being assimilated. Which is something Picard never experienced. And I. The Queen is a collective of one. Like she has no mm-hmm. army behind her, which is something Agnes pointed out this week. And so, in a war of wills, who would win? What if Agnes assimilates the Queen <laughs> and not vice versa? That
1: would and, be interesting.
0: <laughs> and that would also explain why the collective that showed up in that rift in the first episode was calling for Picard and not Locutus because mm-hmm. that's how Agnes knows him.
1: Yeah, man. Uh cuz clearly Gerardi has part of the Board Queen in her the Board Queen seems to have part of Gerardi in her.
0: Which part of Gerardi is in the Queen?
1: Uh she seems more the Board Queen is always very charismatic but part of that still feels like she part of that's still inside her of Gerardi. Just feels like she's got this kind of mirror of Gerardi. Hmm. But she also just knows what Gerardi Jur- was thinking and that desire to be not alone. Mm-hmm. Um She's playing to that very well. I could be wrong, but it just—it feels like there's a little bit of Girardi in there, and I couldn't specify what part. Um, but uh, yeah, that two, they're too dynamic. those two's dynamic is fascinating to me. I love it, and this and that whole like, what are you gonna offer me? And Girardi's like me. I mean, we can share sad stack stories between catastrophes. Um, <laughs> and then when Girardi walks away at the end, when she gets what she wants. Borg Queen is left just calling for her. Get back here. Get back here.
0: Yeah, Joris, like, I've restricted your access again. Good night. Yeah. Oh. So yeah, it I makes me wonder you. has Agnes gone back on her promise? And if so, how is she going to get the Borg Queen to do anything else for her in the future?
1: I don't think she went back on uh, this. I think she just needed a moment. I think she just needed some, a moment. Uh, what is she giving up? What is she doing? And thinking about what the board Queen said about the loneliness. Mm hmm. So I don't think it's any going back. It's just, I need a minute. Whether that means it's all night long or whatever.
0: Yeah, I wonder how much of that mind meld between them left each other with their memories. So clearly Agnes got some information, like the the date the 15th was stuck in there and eventually manifested itself. But she doesn't know everything the Queen knows, and it's likely vice versa. So they, they do have stories to share because there are things... Agnes knows that the Borg does not, despite their time together.
1: Um, speaking of the 15s, we got to go see Chateau Picard.
0: It explained my concern previously that the inhabitants of the Chateau would notice that there is this ship crash-landed in their backyard. Mm-hmm. And, I, you know, actually Commodore Mark texted me to say we finally have a canonical explanation for Picard's accent. Yep, yep. Well, let's talk about Chris, which is... <sighs> I'm kind of annoyed that this whole Chris thing is happening and it's not his fault, Uh but uh, it's a distraction from the reason they came back to this century in the first place. But nonetheless, it's happening to him. He's in ice. He got to speak a little bit with Teresa and tell a lot of people things he shouldn't have said, which is Mm -hmm. fine because nobody understands what he's talking about. Uh, What was your take on this? Anything stand out to you?
1: Is this advancing anything, or is it a hindrance? I appreciate the commentary on the absolute awfulness of ice. No question there. But is this going anywhere that's relevant? Or is it only to show how crappy things are? I mean, I guess we don't... If we put one of our characters into an experience that shows how crappy things are, uh, it's meant to endear us as viewers a little bit more. And so I guess that's it, but you're right. And like, this isn't, is it too much for the episode or the series? And I guess I don't know if it is yet.
0: Well, it introduced us to Teresa and we don't Mm -hmm. know what role she might play. So there is potential there.
1: Yeah. But no, you're right. Uh, I guess we'll just see how this one plays out too. Um, At the moment though, it feels a little slow.
0: Yeah, it didn't do too much for me. I mean, I love Chris. I love the actor. I love every scene he's in. I just wish he had something else to do. (laughs) Uh,
1: Or maybe he was, maybe I just, I I wish he wasn't as powerless, but maybe that's the intent because, you know, this doesn't really directly affect you or me, but Mm -hmm. there might be a lot of people who actually understand and and appreciate seeing this aspect of their reality right in front of them.
0: There was something he said, though, that I had to rewind to make sure I understood him correctly. He's concerned that the Borg Queen is going to wipe out all of humanity with her old cohort, who's now a flesh-and-blood robot. Does he actually suspect Picard is in cahoots with the Queen?
1: Uh, I've forgotten about that line. I don't think he does. He's probably confused what's going on.
0: Because I don't think Picard has given Chris any reason to doubt him or be suspicious of him.
1: I don't think so either. I mean, I don't think he's talking about Seven.
0: No, he specifically said a crusty old admiral who's now a flesh and blood robot.
1: I think he's just making commentary on like, oh, I don't like this time travel (laughs) and all this mess I'm in.
0: Yeah, that's true. And also, I wonder if the Borg as a collective have ever assimilated a golem before.
1: Oh, there's a lot of people out there in the universe. I wonder.
0: Because if he is a flesh and blood robot, then he is a cybernetic organism or a cyborg. And if the Borg could make more of themselves instead of just assimilating other species, they might find some value in that.
1: Uh, Then we'll have a new Borg.
0: Right. A a whole Borg collective of Picards.
1: A legion of them almost.
0: (gasps) A legion. There's that word again. (laughs) Or we could just have a legion of Agnes. We are Agnes. (laughs) <laughs> we are the Girardi. <laughs> That's right.
1: I um, like it. Yeah, I, I, maybe it's just because we don't. You and I, as white people, just don't relate to this specifically. Maybe these scenes with Chris would have more meaning to someone who it affects directly more. I mean, don't say it's not meaningless.
0: We certainly have empathy for yeah that situation, uh-huh. and I, and I think it's important to depict it. For those who may not have direct experience with it, so that they can better understand and appreciate just how terrible ice is.
1: Yeah, um, maybe maybe that's more accurate because like, we understand that. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And this goes back to Guinan's commentary on Earth and why she that's wants to leave. This season and particularly this episode, between Chris and Guinan together, are very critical of today's society. And I'm not doubting the value of that in and of itself, but I'm also asking, in the context of Star Trek, does it move the episode forward? And maybe it doesn't have to, because the original Star Trek was founded by Gene Roddenberry to be social commentary on mm-hmm. modern day. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, Like, let that be your last battlefield. It was all about the ridiculousness of racism, and that's why he had the first interracial kiss on television. So who knows if they're going back to that, in a sense. Not that Star Trek ever really went away from it, but sometimes it's more or less obvious or heavy-handed. And I think with this episode being set in, essentially, modern times, they are able to be a much more deliberate and transparent about what they are saying and doing.
1: Yeah, and there are a lot of people online who are like yelling about how, quote, cool, woke... Star Trek is now, and I'm like, where have you been all this time? It's always made commentary on this kind of stuff.
0: Yeah, hello from 57 years ago. <laughs> Honestly.
1: um, Screw that ice guy. I hate him calling everyone one.
0: Oh, God. Yeah.
1: And Chris, like, they make you pledge allegiance to the flag? Like, yeah, it is a little weird. They used to do the, the pledge of allegiance, now it's put your hand over your heart. Back in the day, it used to be basically do the Nazi symbol before they're like, oh, we don't want to connotate with Hitler. With right. The hand in the air. Uh, and so like, yeah, there are a lot of problems with pledging allegiance to a flag on a whole other level. And like, you know what? Maybe, maybe I had to feel much more about Chris's experience here that I realized.
0: <laughs> well, there you go then.
1: <laughs> um, Cause yeah. And, and trying to think of it critically versus personally, uh, trying to separate those two sometimes. And like, yeah.
0: That's um, fair. That can be a challenge.
1: Yeah. Um, it's like when you try to think, of like, critically, Does it, what does it do for the story? X, Y, Z. But I think personally, like, yeah, I am with Chris. This is all effed up. Yeah. Uh, like, yeah.
0: And this is also part of the move in Star Trek toward serialized storytelling. Because previously, if an episode of, say, The Next Generation had some social commentary, we wouldn't be asking... How does it move the season forward? Because next season, next episode, it wouldn't matter.
1: Exactly. Um, so yeah. Um, I'm not going to think about those critically for the moment until mm. season completes.
0: Well, in a way we had to think about it critically to decide not to.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You got the idea, right? <laughs> sure. Yeah. I hope I, I think I do. I concur. <laughs> Yes. Um, but you know, I kind of glad we caught it all on, on audio. Okay. Um, La Serena, how much power does it have?
0: Exactly the amount that the (laughs) script needs.
1: (laughs) We have enough power for Cloak and Transporter a couple times. But I guess it's repairing. Maybe all the batteries are there. Whatever. Well, remember, this
0: is not just the La Serena we know from last season. This is the Confederation ship. Yeah. And it has some additional features, like a Cloak that the original never had.
1: Uh, You know, maybe I'm misremembering. When they landed here, because they were talking about having, I thought they were talking about having no power. Maybe they meant broken systems. Um, Maybe we have the power, but we can't access it because it's broken behind all the auto repair stuff. Because they're like, we don't have enough power for the bio bed, but we have it for the transporters. And I I just have to go back and clarify what they said. Because I'm like, yeah, you have enough power for Cloak, but not this. And so maybe just systems are coming back one by one.
0: I mean, how much power is being diverted to Elnor's refrigeration chamber? Yeah. <laughs> oh, um, shit, damn kid.
1: <laughs> anyway. Oh, John Luke and his flashbacks um, to his past as a child.
0: Which was amusing to me because he was walking through the same house where he's been living for many years ever since leaving Starfleet. This is not new territory to him.
1: Um, No, but we saw something reminded him something specifically reminded him of all the stuff in the conservatory mm-hmm. uh so it wasn't it doesn't mean he doesn't hasn't thought about it in the past but something specific has got for first all these things forced all these memories to come to the forefront of his childhood huh. um recently uh and man it was like only on screen for like a second but like his mother being forced somewhere Little little kid version of J.L. holding a sharp rock and throwing it at a conservatory window. Hmm. Um, his mom now we know his mom would play um, the song uh, that keeps coming up to help calm his fears and basically tells him he's safe when he hears it. Hmm. Uh, and so that's like that's important. So mm-hmm. when he hears that song, when um, Clockwork Board Queen is um, assimilating things, uh, he hears that song. Um, I think he heard it when Q was showing him a uh, bad version of Earth at the start. Interesting.
0: Yeah, there's a lot happening with him. And it somehow ties into why he's not able to love. And this is clearly some family trauma that he's endured in the way he was raised that somehow allowed him to still grow up to be a effective individual, which a lot of people do. They just have these other underlying issues that they bury so deeply that they never get resolved. And now we're learning what Picards are. Yeah. Although yeah. I, I I, don't know, like especially with the Watcher taking the form of Laris, how weird is it going to be when he returns to the future and his own timeline and Laris is there and he'll be like, Laris, I'm now allowed to, I'm now able to say how much I love you because you remind me of Gary Seven. Like that's weird.
1: I don't think it'll play out. Like that.
0: <laughs> Probably not.
1: Probably nothing like that. Um, <laughs> like, can you imagine like him
0: kissing her, saying like, "Oh, Gary," I mean, Laris, Laris.
1: I don't want to think that. <laughs> no. uh, it's funny you mentioned Laris because I had um, Orla Brady's picture up of her in the suit holding. Jean Luc's shoulder right in front of me here. Uh, besides being very gay and I could look at this all day, um, uh, yeah, it's like nothing even remotely Romulan looking about her. Right? So, man, so many questions and I can't wait to see them. And I saw the preview. Uh, I guess this is semicolon. I saw the preview for next week and I'm so excited for next week.
0: As you know, I don't watch the previews. So yep. this will be a surprise for me.
1: Yeah, I'm not saying nothing. Um, for the semicolon. <laughs> Uh we're just wrapping up near the end of this episode, so like of our recording, so I'm like, I'm just really excited for next week. Well good.
0: I am interested to see what happens next, and I don't have a lot of theories because the only theory we really had that was significant was who the watcher was. We had five theories, including Gary Seven, Gynan, and Rain Robinson, played by Sarah Silverman, and one of those was correct. And so, well, to a degree, Guinan wasn't exactly the watcher, but uh, Guinan and seven of not seven, Gary, seven of nine. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I mean, I guess two out of our five theories were correct in a way. Because Um. this is the episode where we saw Guinan for the first time in this century. And also, uh, I think I've said this before, but Picard should have been more thorough in checking in with people when he found himself in this timeline, like he reconnected with the crew of the La Serena, but he had just seen Guinan the day before. And he knows that she's sensitive to disruptions in the timeline. So he should have like, just put in a call to 10 forward on in, in Los Angeles been like, Hey, uh, I know we're the confederation now, but is there a bartender named Guinan there? (laughs) And anyway, I'm so I'm, he it was, was all so happening su- so fast. He was so surprised when he beamed into Ten Forward, which in the twenty-first century he should be. I am not criticizing that, but the gesture he made, where he did a double face palm, basically, like he's <laughs> like, I can't imagine the Picard of TNG ever doing that.
1: Uh, right. This one had lots of time, you know, trying jigsaw puzzles and other forms of retirement, and it wasn't for him, uh, and so he had time to think about his reactions.
0: <laughs> he's like, I'm gonna try this on. Kind of like how Saru was being like, Execute. No, <laughs> no, I gotta try something else. So Picard just spent all his times in his chateau being like, What should I do when I'm surprised? Let's try this on. <laughs> and then he beams in his head for it. he's like, oh, I've been practicing this. Here I go. Funk. <laughs> I nailed it. First try. Anyway. Anything else for this week?
1: Uh orla brady i love you who (laughs) that's the person who plays laris oh okay (laughs) um that's for the episode no we covered it all all my notes
0: excellent well then i guess we are done until next week which at the time of this recording is just three or four days from now there how many episodes
1: in this season you know i didn't check
0: Let's find out. If I go to Google, I say, Picard, season two, how many episodes? The answer is 10.
1: All right. We're almost half done.
0: After this week, this coming week, we will be. And I'm hoping that we move this plot further a little bit faster. And.
1: You know, when you say it like that, we've only had four episodes.
0: Yeah. That's two fifths of the season.
1: Yeah. But I don't know. It's only four episodes. I feel like they did waste some time, but I think we're also moving at an okay pace so far.
0: I feel like every season of Star Trek lately has, I don't know what the right word for it is like a mid-season slump, because the first couple of episodes are awesome. I remember this happened with Discovery season four, where like I loved the first and second episodes. And then the third and fourth episodes, I'm like, these are not as good as what we were led to believe by the season premiere. Mm-hmm. And I'm feeling that way now, but even- I think
1: typical with tv yeah
0: yeah and the first season of picard as well so i'm hoping that things pick up and there's time for them to do so and we'll be watching for that here on transporter lock until next time
1: time travel since my first day on the job as a starfleet captain i swore i'd never let myself get caught in one of these godforsaken paradoxes the future is the past the past is the future it all gives me a headache If you've enjoyed this episode, please leave a review on iTunes, and keep your hailing frequencies open by following us on Twitter at TransporterLock, or subscribing to our podcast and email newsletter at transporterlock.com.
0: Did you have that written out? Yes. Okay. <laughs>